animals and what we do with our bodies doesn't matter, then they've always won the battle of worship. But the truth is, is that our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies are all inextricably linked together. And what we do when we worship the Creator with our bodies and our actions really matters. So that is the synopsis from last week in part two. So this week in part three, we're going to be talking about how to worship in spirit and truth. How to worship in spirit and in truth. And we're going to go to John chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 42 together. I mean, you don't have to read out loud, but you can follow on the screen or flip on your tablets. We're going to read together, and then we're going to talk about what God has revealed to us in his holy scriptures about how to worship him correctly in spirit and truth. So let's read John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he was on a journey, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, the humanity of Jesus was he right there, yes, he got tired, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which means about noon. So the hottest point of the day, according to where the sun was at. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, can you like sense the snarkiness there? Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So essentially, who do you think you are? Is what she's saying. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. Uh, Will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is saying, yes, I am greater than your father, Jacob. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. This is a leading question from Jesus. He always knows what the real story is. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Partial truth, as we will see. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. So basically, the man she's living with is not her husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And just to point out, before we go on further there, you see as she was addressing him as sir, 
sir, sir. And it's like, okay, prophet, now that you just exercise the gift of the Holy Spirit, basically revealing what you should not have known. So now we can go a little bit further into spiritual things because God had opened that door by the power of his spirit. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Shock, her world just got opened up so much. She'd been taught this her whole life, that there was one way, one place to do this. And he says, you worship what you do not know. Ow. Everything you've been taught about how to do this, you need to reassess it. You worship what you do not know. We, because Jesus is Jewish, right? We, meaning the Jewish people, worship what we know because we have the Old Testament prophets, we have the revelation of God that have taught us how to worship. We have the law. And the Samaritans only believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and they believed that the Jews got off base. And so that's why there was that schism there. And the Jews did not accept the Samarians because they intermingled, intermarried with Gentiles. And so they were always at odds about that and also how to worship. So he's saying, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Okay, key here, because he loved her, he did not allow her to go on worshiping in non-truth. He's like, you've got to accept the truth if you're going to worship me. You have to be willing to forget what you have known and what you've been taught and what you thought was right. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, remember that term, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Why? Because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So if we're made in the image of God and he is spirit, then we need to worship him not only with our actions, like Pastor Ron was talking about last week, which are very important, but they have to line up with our spirit, our very inner being and our inner core. They cannot be separated, or otherwise we are not worshiping in the truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, she's like, okay, I hear you, but you know what? You're not the final authority on this. You're just a prophet. You're not the prophet. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Christ. You're not the Son of God in the flesh. You're not the Savior of the world. So when he comes on the scene, okay, then we'll listen to him. But I hear you. I'll consider that. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If we've ever had any doubt about who Jesus says he is, there you go, right there. I am the Christ. So not only other people said it about him, he said it about himself. All right, breaking the storyline here. Just then his disciples came back, because they were off getting food, remember? They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Cultural context here as well. When a man would go to a well, it was usually a place to meet women. Okay, if you think back in the Old Testament, there were many, many people who met their wives, where? At a well. So, even though 
he was willing to be seen in an awkward position because he knows what his motives are. They were pure, they were holy. He was willing to associate with her even when it would cause maybe a awkward moment. But the disciples had finally come to a place where they're like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna see what you do, Jesus. We're not gonna interject and be like, what the heck are you doing? So they are finally starting to learn their place and walking with him. Uh, so the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Maybe a little hyperbole there. I don't know, because they only said about the husbands, right? But she said, she was impacted, apparently, that he would know this, because there's no way he would know this. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. And it looks like she considered what he had said about himself, as we should too, if we're going to worship in spirit and truth. Can this be the Christ? She encountered Jesus in the flesh, who prophesied over her, revealing what he should not have known by the power of the Holy Spirit. She was concerned about getting water for her daily needs. And all of a sudden, she leaves this seemingly random conversation and leaves her water jar. You want to talk about being changed? What have we left behind that was important to us for our daily needs in order to worship in spirit and truth? There are some things that we need to forget and just leave behind. Not because we're forgetful, but because our priorities have changed. So she went back, she told all her people, and I also have to interject here, guys. This is so, 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 so important, who this woman is and her situation that she was in. Why was she at the well at noon by herself? Noon is the hottest part of the day. Back then, in that time period, people would go to the well either in the morning, the ladies would, or in the evening. Why? Because they did not want to be in the scorching heat during the day. Why was she there at noon? She was very strategic in avoiding the other women and maybe the other men because of her lifestyle that she knew. It was apparent that there was some kind of dysfunctionality in her relationships with the people of the town, her own people. So not only was she in disarray relationally with her own people, but remember the conversation about the Samaritans and the Jews and they have nothing to do with each other? She was in dysfunction in relationship even with other people. She had had five husbands. We do not know if the five husbands were because she was divorced. We don't know if it was because um, maybe she couldn't get pregnant and they divorced her. But needless to say, this woman is riddled with shame. She's riddled with guilt maybe depression, like there are things going on and she feels like she cannot be in relationship with the very people that are around her. This is the situation of this woman. Enters Jesus, encounters Jesus. She forgets all of that and she goes back to the very people that she's been avoiding. Just by encountering Jesus, she begins to worship in spirit and in truth and forgets about all of these things and becomes at least the beginning of reconciliation through becoming a missionary to the very people that she was at odds with. Who are we at odds with in our lives? Who do we feel like we don't fit in with? Those are probably the very people, if you've encountered the living Christ, that is part of your act of worshiping in spirit and in truth that he's going to send you back to. And it's going to be so healing. Let's continue to read. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, 
Rabbi, eat. Once again, a distinction here. She called him sir, then it went to prophet, then it went to, this could be the Christ, and even the disciples here are just calling him teacher, rabbi. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to, said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, well, hold on before we even go there. Okay, all of us who are already in the light of Christ, you've already surrendered like the Samaritan woman in that moment and said, okay, I get it, I'm a sinner, but yet you still want me. You want me to come back here. So you want me to get right. Okay, now what do I do? God wants us to do the same thing that the Samaritan woman did by leaving her jar and that Jesus did here as a minister. He wants us to treasure the, the Lord himself, our Heavenly Father, and the things that he's called us to do as more important than our daily bread. And this is part of worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's where, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease. My flesh must be crucified. I must decrease. Not because of human effort, but because of the power of the Spirit working in us. Right? Spirit and truth. I must decrease so that he can increase. Being Jesus, but also when Jesus increases, it's the glory of God. Are you living for the glory of God? Does this motivate you? Does this challenge you? Does this lead you into a sacrificial lifestyle to where, as Paul said, I love Timothy. I have nobody else like him. He really puts the needs of the people around him before his own. Are you living that lifestyle as a minister, as a Christian? Because we're all ministers. We're royal priesthood, all of us in Christ. Um, We can go into the next one. So do you not say, this is Jesus talking, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? But look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Have your spiritual eyes opened and see that the fields are white for harvest right now. Today is the day of salvation. When we're encountering the living God and we know that he has come, we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth. The truth is, is that today is the day of salvation. Everybody around us is in a place to where it is time for them to hear the gospel. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now who is he talking about here? He is talking about specifically, of course this has prophetic implication for the future, but he's talking specifically about the Old Testament prophets. It's like they've been prophesying about this Messiah that's going to come. And they're all on the same page, saying the same thing. He's going to come. He's going to deliver his people Israel. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles. And he's going to bring worshipers into the house of God. And he's going to get them prepared. He's going to give them a gift called the Holy Spirit. He's going to help them live a life that, that loves God and worships him in spirit and in truth until he comes back. So we have to worship in the truth. The Old Testament is the truth of God, Christian. 
If you believe in the Jesus that the Bible talks about, you cannot throw the Old Testament out. If you do, you throw out Jesus. There is no God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. It's the same God. It's the same God. The prophets of the Old Testament and the people that live by faith like Abraham, Abraham, how are they saved? They were saved by faith. Faith that they could not justify themselves and that there was a deliverer coming. The same way that we, 2,000 years, look back, the same way that they looked forward, we have to, by faith, believe that he came. We also, by faith, have to believe that he's coming back as well. Do you hear me? It's all by faith. We're all in the same boat. Okay. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Once again, the woman. She had every reason to believe that her work in the Lord of sharing who this man could be. Anybody here have a, just a little bit of doubt? Like, you're not quite there. You're like, this could be the Christ. You can be honest. That's okay. If you do, it's okay. He wants to bring you to a place of full conviction, full trust, full surrender, but she knew enough. Why? Because she had encountered him. There was no excuse that she could give, but she just wasn't sure. But yet she still went and told her town people, knowing that they could have rejected her, number one, because she's a woman, which did not have standing in that day like they do today. They could have rejected her because she had had five husbands and be like, you are not credible at all. Why would we ever believe you? People of God, your past does not keep you from sharing the gospel and being taken seriously, no matter what it is, no matter what you've done. doesn't matter. It's actually the reason that you can share the gospel because you've been brought into the light of Christ. And by faith, you've been purified and sanctified. And that is your testimony. It's the very thing that sends you to the people. Do not let the devil tell you it's the reason why you cannot go to the people. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Right? They're like, well, what did you do? So I don't know if she told them or if they already knew. They probably already knew. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Guys, this is huge. The only reason that the Jewish people would go through Samaria to get to Galilee, remember that's where he was going, the only reason they would go through there is because it was like the expressway. It's like the toll road. It's the fast way, right? You don't like what's around there, but you just endure it so you can hurry up and get to your destination. Jesus is doing right here the very thing that he told the apostles in Matthew 28 to do. He said, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Behold, I'm with you always. And then in Acts, in the beginning, he said, I want you to start in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, right? He's already been in Jerusalem. He's been in Judea. And now he's like, I am going to practice what I preach. I'm going to go to Samaria first. I'm going to stay there. And this is going to be the very thing that my apostles are going to remember that we are reconciling the world to the Father and to each other regardless of ethnicity, regardless of our backgrounds. And many more believed because of his word. Guys, our job isn't to be Jesus. 
Can you just relieve the pressure from yourself right now and say, I am not Jesus? I know some of you are like me. You carry this burden of perfection. The cross is not needed if that was the case, but he went to the cross because you're not perfect. Your job is not to be perfect. Your job is to follow. Your job is to connect people to the perfect one when you're walking with him. Not to be the perfect one, to connect him to the perfect one. So you can be relieved of that. They said to the one, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Good news. She didn't have all the answers. That Samaritan woman didn't. She's like, could this be the Christ? Let's go find out. Come on. You don't have to have all the answers. You just got to help bring people in. Because they said, we listen to him. So practically, what does this mean? It means when you're with people, pray for them. Create a God moment where two or three are gathered together in his name. Pray for them. Bring them into his presence. Take them to the word of God. Read the Bible with them. Bring them into his presence. Bring them to church where the people of God are. Bring them to community group, community group Sunday, right? Bring them to community group. This is where people can say, we have heard for ourselves and we know. Removed all doubt. When it was just you, uh, not sure. But when we saw the miracle of the church, the miracle of people living like heaven, in community, with joy, with peace, with mutual sacrifice for one another when we have needs. Now we know that this is the Savior of the world. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that the world will know who my disciples are because they love one another. The love of the church is the testimony that the world needs. Next. Oh, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> that's the end of it. Okay, so let's, let's summarize here. I know that was a lot to take in. But in summary, those who profess to worship the one true God must do so. Must do so. Because the Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and truth. So it's not an option, guys. It's an inclusive invitation to all, the whole world, to come to Jesus Christ. But the way that we worship is not an option. It is a must. It is a mandatory. It is not up to us to decide. It's for us to listen and then to ask for help to do it. So the, those who profess to worship God must do so in spirit and truth. How do we do that? We do that number one. We're going to start with basics. We do that by coming into the light of Christ. How do you begin to worship in spirit and truth? By coming into the light of Christ. These are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. So three points for you, if you're the point people. <laughs> Number one, God is spirit, so we must worship in spirit. Why must we worship in spirit? Because God is spirit. Number one. Number two, God is truth. God is truth. So we must worship in truth. And number three, God is light. So we must worship in the light. God is light. We must worship in the light. All right, let's expand on this just a little bit. The best way I can think of what does it look like to worship in the spirit without getting all 
um, esoteric on you because God is spirit. He's revealed who he is in Jesus Christ because we're going to spend the rest of eternity. Let's just get real here. We're going to spend the rest of eternity getting to know God in his fullness. Now he's revealed what we need to know in order to have a relationship with him. But just like, for example, like I got married, right? And Evelise, like, I, I knew enough to make the decision that I'm going to commit for the rest of my life to be with you. That's what I needed to know to make the commitment. So he's revealed what you need to know, that he is worth your life for now and for eternity, okay? He has revealed that, but we're going to spend the rest of our life, I mean, excuse me, eternity getting to know him. So the best way I could think of was just coming up with some practicals. What does worshiping in spirit not look like? What won't cut it? So here's some, some ideas for you. Lip service and ministry, if you feel like I could just do enough of good stuff, lip service and ministry won't cut it alone. They can be empowered by the Spirit of God, but those things alone will not cut it. Matthew seven twenty one through 23, one of the scriptures that scared the bejesus out of me growing up in North Carolina. I hated this scripture. Why? Because I didn't know Jesus. That's why I hated this scripture. So if it affects you that way today too, let's talk afterwards. All right? It doesn't scare me anymore, but it did. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And we are not going to have these on the screen, so you'll have to look it up or either listen to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day... Many will say to me, not a few, on that day, many will say to me, you don't want to be a part of the many. You want to be a part of the few in this regard. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why? Because they weren't worshiping in spirit. And truth. They were trying to earn something from him. They were trying to pay God off and impress God with those things. Should you do those things? Are you called to do those things? Yes. But you were first called to come into the light of Christ. Number one. Number two, uh, underneath uh, things that, what is not worship in the spirit, going to the right place at the right time will not cut it. It will not impress God. John 4, 20 through 21 says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. We just read this. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Location and timing doesn't matter. AKA, coming here on Sunday morning, every week at 10 a.m. Like, God's glad you're doing it. You should do it. And it could be a spiritual discipline for you, but that in itself does not impress God if he doesn't have your heart. He wants your heart. He wants you to be here and to leave here closer to him every time. Number, th- number three of things that don't impress God and aren't worshiping in the spirit. This is a conglomeration. Circumcision, <laughs> a Jesus tattoo, or a bumper sticker of a fish. We'll not cut it. We'll not cut it. Romans two twenty seven through 29. 
then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You can have all those things. I, I like tattoos. I think they're cool. They just, they're too painful for me. I don't have any piercings, any tattoos, anything uh, like that. But that's great if you want to do that. But just make sure that you're, it's, it's worshiping in spirit, okay? Good deeds won't cut it alone. Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. If you're just trying to just obey your conscience, if you're trying to, but, and just follow the law of God, if you have, have the word, that is not enough. Those things, your conscience and the law of God are meant to arouse the fact that you need a savior to come into the light of Christ. For nobody has ever been able to do it except Jesus. And nobody will ever be able to do it perfectly except him. But he did it for you. And he wants you to rest in that. Money won't cut it. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the people who base their justification on how well they obeyed the law. You hypocrites. For you tithe. You give 10% of your mint and your dill and your cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The point there isn't just money. The point there is that if you've even broke one part of the law or the conscience that God's given you if you don't have the law, then you've broken it all. We all need a savior. And we can only worship in spirit and truth with him. And in my, my southern, any old sacrifice or any old gift Yes, sacrifice is good. Yes, gifts are good. But alone, they won't cut it. Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Oh, excuse me. I apologize. Isaiah 1, 11 through 13. This is God talking through the prophet. What to me is the multitudes of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. I do not delight in all your money or parts of your money being given because I don't need it. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. He doesn't say don't bring offerings. He says bring no more vain offerings. Incense is, incense is an abomination to me. Your new moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations... I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He wants your heart, not just your sacrifices. He wants your heart. All right, number two, God is truth, so we must worship in truth. Again, what what does this mean in this context? He was talking to the Samaritan woman. And so the truth, number one, the truth of God is revealed in creation. 
we must respond in our worship to what he has revealed to us just through creation. Romans says that it's impossible to deny God even on the basis of just, he's, he's the creation. How do you come up with a reason for all, where all this came from? If you're one of my atheist friends out there today, I still ask you that question, as I do every time we talk. <laughs> where, how did this all come from? The Big Bang? Yeah, sure, God spoke, it happened, right? Where did this all come from? So creation itself, but then it narrows down a little more. The prophets of the Old Testament, that is truth. That is God's truth, that he is lovingly revealed, and their blood was shed in order to bring it to us. And most importantly, the truth of God is shown perfectly in the incarnation, meaning the coming in the flesh of his one and only son. That is the ultimate truth. That surpasses all the other truths. Meaning even Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, they were like, so... um, you know, what should we do in this scenario? Jesus trying to test him about questions of the law. is like, okay, I'm going to take it the other direction here. You're asking if I should divorce my wife. And Jesus is like, I'm, I'm telling you what here. You know, adultery isn't just cheating and a reason for, uh, for divorcing. He says, if you look at a woman lustfully. He takes it, once again, to the spirit level and the truth level. So Jesus supersedes every other truth that we have ever heard. And he clarifies everything for us. The Samaritan woman was wrong in her understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Wrong about God's choosing of the Jewish nation to bring forth his word. She was wrong about his prophets. And the reason that Jesus and love, because I know sometimes we're like, that stuff doesn't matter, just believe in Jesus. I hear you, I hear you. But Jesus in love had to correct her and bring her to the truth because if she was off base over here, for her specifically, not believing what the Old Testament was saying about where the Messiah would come from, from the Jews specifically, she would not have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He had to go back and check those foundations. And yes, this is a shameless plug. Come to the the biblical foundations class, guys. You need to get into the word of God for these foundations. It's every Wednesday night except this Wednesday because we're going to be the GO conference from 7 to 8. You should come to that. Number three, God is light. So we must come out of the darkness, spiritual darkness, and come into the light of Christ. We saw this with the Samaritan woman, didn't we? To me, it's such a funny uh, paradox. It is the brightest, hottest part of the day. And she went to the well during that time, still living in her darkness, carrying her past with her, her shame, her guilt. So it wasn't the light of this world, the sun, S-U-N, that was able to cleanse her and heal her and make her right with God. She was actually using that as a cover-up. But Jesus brought the light and the truth of the gospel to her by the power of the Spirit of God when he said to her, go get your husband, the lead in question. She said, I have no husband. She could have said, okay, this is weird, I'm out. But she said, I have no husband. 
And then he's like, you're right. I'm going to now, in my mercy, only, only God can do this. I'm going to condescend and say, daughter, <laughs> you've had five husbands. Why don't you come into the light? You don't have to be ashamed of this anymore. I'm going to deal with it. He knew what he was going to do on the cross. He knew he was going to cover it. Come into the light. Church, we have to obey scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Romans, spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Like the one that Jesus just displayed there. Because those gifts are meant to bring people into the light. Even when they can't bring themselves into the light. Remember the people who picked up their, their friend who was bedridden and they, the, they carried him to the roof and then they removed all the tiles and lowered them in front of Jesus? When we're operating in spiritual gifts, guys, this is what we're doing. We're helping people come into the light. So I'm going to read you that scripture now. Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25. But if all prophesy, this is him teaching the Corinthian church how to use their gifts. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider, sorry guys, an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, just like the Samaritan woman was. I can see you're a prophet. (laughs) He's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. You can't remain in the darkness. The light is coming. Jesus is returning. The whole world will come into the light. Come now. We'll be called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. Isn't that what happened with the Samaritan woman right there? God called it out. Jesus called it out by the gift of prophecy. He knew her. And when we walk in those gifts, he reveals to us what we need to know. Not to shame anybody, but to encourage and uplift and bring them into the light. So God can minister to them. All the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, following on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Come into the light. However it happens, maybe a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift of prophecy, somebody knows something because you weren't willing to confess it yourself. However it happens, come into the light. So you can actually worship in spirit and in truth. And then I want to encourage you with this last scripture. 1 John, not the Gospel of John, the letter of 1 John, chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and we proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we're at the well with him, talking with him, if we're at church saying we're worshiping him, if we're in community group, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we respond to what he's showing us, as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's nothing that you can bring into the light that won't get cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Nothing. 
doesn't matter what it is. You just got to bring it into the light. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say, I'm already in the light. That woman at the well, she was in the light. It was noon. She was confused. She didn't know the spiritual truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We can't worship in spirit and truth if we're continuing in sin and not coming into the light, confessing it to God, and then as scripture says, to one another, that's up to you, okay? We don't have a little booth up here you come confess your sins in, okay? You confess that to God and one another. If we confess our sins, here's the promise. Here's the promise, people of God, or people coming to the one true God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. That means he's not going to go back on his word. Nobody that comes to me, by in no means, will I ever cast out. The preposition is that you come. He is faithful, and here we go. He is just. Why is he just? Because Jesus paid the penalty. God did not sweep whatever it is under the rug just so it couldn't be seen anymore. To say, okay, we're good, and then I'm going to bring it back up later five years from now when you're having a hard time and remind you about it. No, he is just, it is dealt with. Closed case. You're healed. And not only that, that shame you carry around, that guilt you carry around, that fear of rejection you carry around, says that he will cleanse us. He'll wash you up. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Sorry to belabor the point, but it's just so important that you go from the point where the Samaritan woman was at of saying, could this be the Christ? That you come into the light and you say like the people of the town did when they actually encountered him for, and with him for two days. And the disciples were with Jesus for three years before they really understood who he was, okay? So sometimes it takes time, but today's the day of salvation. So if he's knocking on your heart, today's the day, Okay? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. Okay? Death is not a thing. Death is the absence of a thing. It's the absence of life. Okay? So come out of death. Come out of darkness and come into the light. And all that to say that you cannot enter into the presence of light himself, Jesus Christ, without receiving new life. It's just, are you, are you really coming? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? And then lastly, I do have two quotes for you. Uh, John Piper, anybody know John? Pastor Piper? It's probably one of his most used quotes, but it perfectly describes what happened with that Samaritan woman when she went back to her town. John Piper said, missions exists because worship does not exist. Worship is the final state, guys. So we go out 
to bring people into the light of Christ through evangelism, through giving to um, the school for the supplies so they can see the goodness of God. We do all these things so that people will come into the light and our Heavenly Father, His Son, His Spirit will receive what they deserve, which is worship. So we must worship in spirit and truth. And then for all my friends out there that have struggled with, um, I don't know, spiritual ADD, I don't know what to call it. It's just you go back and forth, you feel tossed to and fro. Um, I think God loves me, but I'm not sure. My friend Dan Staldorf, who mentored me, um, when I first came to Jesus at 25 years old for a couple of years, Dan Staldorf said, do not forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Do not forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Jesus is not here in the flesh right now, right? He's seated at the right hand of God. He is here by his spirit, though, right now. He said, behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. And you know how else he is here? The Bible, the written word of God. If you ever feel like you're in the dark, you need to remember what the light looks like. You go, you go to the word. What has he said about you? He said you're clean. He said he's going to keep you until the end. Just stay in the light, abide in me, and I'll abide in you. So the worship team could come forward. So what do we do with this? The question is, are you worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth? Not just worshiping, but worshiping in spirit and in truth. Not spirit or truth, but spirit and truth. Do you have his spirit in you, guiding you into all truth? If not, or you're not sure, I want you to pray this prayer that King David prayed. This is my go-to prayer. This is my personal life right here. My go-to prayer, almost every day. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know, as some translations say, my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any wicked or grievous way in me. Anything that you're not pleased with. And lead me in the way everlasting. What does that mean? Lead me to Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. And there is no life or light apart from him. So if that's you today, tell your heavenly father that you're tired of being in spiritual darkness. You're tired of stumbling through life and that you want to be with him in the light. And then lay your old sinful and deceitful heart open before him, confessing you've been in the dark and that you now believe he sent his one and only son Jesus into the world to be the light of the world. Tell him you accept Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross in exchange for your sinful life and that God the Father raised him from the dead to prove it. Tell him you accept Jesus as Lord of your life from this day moving forward. If you do this, you can go from the place that the Samaritan woman was at to where the townspeople were at. I'm not just saying, could this be the Christ? But you will know he is not only the Savior of the world, he's your Savior you can be filled with the joy of salvation. He promises to give you a new clean heart and then he also promises to give you the gift which you cannot earn and only comes through him coming into the light.
the gift of the Holy Spirit today to live inside of you and help you lead a new life worshiping Him in spirit and truth. So as we go back into a time of worship today, just do work right now with the Father. Nobody's looking at you. If you need to go behind the curtains, do whatever you need to do. Talk to somebody. But don't leave here, please. Please, please, please don't leave here until you feel like this is right.